Open your Bibles, if you will, to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Our sermon text this morning is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. We are nearing the end of our exposition of the book of Philippians. We've entitled this series, Be Joyful in Christ, and I hope that's you today. hope that you are joyful in the Lord Jesus. We will preach verses 10 through 13 this morning, and then, Lord willing, we will finish the book next Sunday. But we'll look at verses 10 through 13 together this morning. Let me remind you, church, that when Scripture speaks, God speaks. So may we approach the reading of His Word with reverence and awe. The Apostle Paul says this, chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, the Lord Jesus tells us in Luke eleven twenty eight, blessed are those who hear the word of God. And who keep it. Father, we ask that you would grant unto us eyes to see and ears to hear. This we ask in Christ's name and by your Holy Spirit. Amen. There's a story I like about a man whose friend was upset. So the man, the man asked his friend, he said, hey, I can see something's bothering you. What is it? And the friend said, well, three, week, three weeks ago, my great uncle died and he left me $42,000. The man said, well, I'm sorry for your loss, but you know, is there anything else wrong? And the friend said, well, two weeks ago, my cousin died, and he left me $100,000. The man said, wow, that's some serious cash. You know, is there anything else bothering you? And the friend said, well, one week ago, a close friend of mine died, and he left me $1 million. And the man said, well, I guess I can't see why you're so upset. You, know, you have all this money. And the friend said, well, this week, nobody died. And I didn't get any money. <laughs> now, we laugh at that joke, or at least I do. But sometimes I think we can be like that friend, can't we? We're often discontent in life. We're hardly ever happy. We're seldom satisfied with what we've been given. I think like that friend, we want more, more, more. We think that having more this or or better that will make us happy. We find that what we've got is not enough. And so as a result, we're, we're always hungry, but we're never satisfied. The title of our sermon this morning is The Secret of Contentment. I believe that contentment is sought by many, but it's rarely ever found. But today, we meet a man who was content. The Apostle Paul was full of contentment. In fact, in verse 11, he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So Paul was guarded by the peace of God and the God of peace 
and thus he was a content person. And I believe that you and I, we need to take a lesson from the Apostle Paul. His life is an example for us today. You know, the world says that we can find contentment in, in, in money, possessions, prestige, relationship, and, and so on and so forth. But if we follow that definition, contentment is really unattainable, isn't it? Those things can never provide us with ultimate fulfillment or ultimate satisfaction in life. But in verses 10 through 13, the Apostle Paul gives us four secrets of contentment. Four secrets. And I say secrets because the world doesn't know about these secrets. They look for contentment in all the wrong places. But God has been so good to his people that he gives us these secrets in his word. So I want to look at these four secrets with you together on contentment. Here's our first secret. Contentment rests in God's providence. I see this in verse 10. Contentment rests in God's providence. The word providence, you've heard this term before. It just means that God is the one who rules the universe. It means that God has a purpose and a pattern for everything that happens. In fact, the question 11 of the Shorter Catechism says that God's providence is where God preserves and governs all his creatures and all their actions. And to me, that's great to know, right? God has everything worked out. He's got a perfect providential plan for everything in our lives. He's large and in charge, and he can be trusted. Now, at first glance, it may not be clear that God's providence is in verse 10. You don't see the word providence or the word sovereignty in verse 10, do you? But let me assure you that it's there. God's providential care is at work behind the scenes, if you will, in Paul's life in verse 10. Look again at verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So give me a few moments to show you God's providence in verse 10. We'll first set the context. And the context is that Paul planted the Philippian church on his second missionary journey in about A.D. 50. So that would have been his second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16. And that's where you get the, the story of Lydia, uh, Paul and Silas, uh, the Philippian jailer, and, and so on and so forth. And we know that the Philippians supported Paul financially for several years. They gave him money as he embarked on his missionary journeys and his, his church planning efforts. You think about it, that's how it works today. Individual churches support missionaries and, and church planners. In fact, look down at verses 15 and 16. Verse 15 and 16. Paul says, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, that means when they began to support Paul financially, when I left Macedonia, Philippi is in Macedonia, he says, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. But for whatever reason, somewhere along the way, the Philippians stopped giving money to Paul. The cash flow ceased. That's why Paul says in verse 10, he says, you were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. In other words, they were no longer supporting Paul financially. Now, the reason for their lack of financial support is unclear. 
Now, commentators offer various explanations. One explanation is that the Philippians couldn't find Paul. Now, Paul was always traveling around Asia Minor in Europe, and so he may have been hard to, to track down. Another explanation is that the Philippians may have thought Paul died. If you go read the book of Acts, you know, Paul's always caught in a riot, or he's always being attacked by a, by a mob. I think the best explanation is that the Philippians just ran out of money. Uh, they fell on hard times. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says that all the Macedonian churches basically went bankrupt. Again, Philippi is in Macedonia, and so probably the Philippians just ran out of money. But now, fast forward, now for whatever reason, they've started to help Paul again financially. The cash flow has returned. We know that because of verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord that you have revived, or you've started up again, your concern for me. In fact, if you look down in verses 18 and 19, Paul says this. He says, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. Okay, so how does verse 10 relate to God's providence? What's the connection between contentment and providence in verse 10? What's the relationship? Well, I think it's this. Paul knew that God would take care of him. So Paul rested in God's providence. He trusted in God's sovereign care. Uh, John MacArthur makes this great statement in his commentary on verse 10. He says, Paul's attitude reflects his patient confidence in God's sovereign providence. He was certain that God in due time would arrange his circumstances to meet his needs. There was no panic on God's part, on Paul's part. Uh, Paul was content because he knew that the times and the seasons and the opportunities of life are controlled by the sovereign God. And then he says this, a confident trust in God's providence is foundational to contentment. An understanding of God's sovereign providential control of events is critical to contentment. That's true for us today, isn't it? Nothing has changed from Paul's time to our time. We will never be content in life unless we first understand that God is the one who provides for us and takes care of us. Just as God took care of Paul, the Lord takes care of us. In fact, if you're in Christ, he loves you so much that all things really do work together for your good. So contentment rests in God's providence. And I call this a secret because the rest of the world doesn't know this. They don't understand this. But believers know that God is providential and he's sovereign over all things, all the big things in our life, even the small things in our life. So that's the first secret. Here's our second secret. Contentment must be learned. Contentment must be learned. Look at verse 11. I see this truth in verse 11. Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, that's a vexing comment. When, he, when Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, that, that's an astonishing remark to make. Paul is basically saying, I don't really have any needs in my life right now. My life is good. And that's surprising because if you know the context of Philippians, you know that Paul is not on vacation in Maui. 
He's not on the French Riviera. What is happening to Paul right now as he writes this letter? He is suffering before the Romans in jail. He is in Rome. His life hangs in the balance, and he's waiting to see if the Romans are going to kill him or let him live. But still, despite his circumstances, Paul can say, not that I'm in need. Now, that's a content man, isn't it? Only someone who is content in the Lord could, could make such a, a comment. How? How can Paul be content when he is suffering in jail? How is this possible? How is Paul able to pull off contentment while he's in prison? Well, notice the second part of verse 11. Don't miss this, verse 11. Paul says, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That tells us that contentment must be learned. Contentment is a learned behavior, a learned trait. What we mean is that contentment is not hardwired into us. It's not our default setting. It's not automatically built into our our hearts. It's not something that we're naturally good at. I think the reason that we're not often content in life is because of sin. It's because of our natural sinful tendencies. Due to sin we automatically know how to be unhappy. We naturally and instinctively know how to be discontent in life because of sin. In fact, here's how dictionary.com defines discontentment. Not a bad definition. Dictionary.com, it says, discontentment is a restless desire or craving for something that one does not have. Not a bad definition. As a pastor, the only improvement I'd make is this. I'd say that discontentment is a restless desire or craving due to sin, due to sin. So discontentment in life is due to our sinful state. A sin makes us restless and unsatisfied. Sin causes us to want the life that so-and-so has rather than to be content with the life that we've been given. A sin makes us desire the spouse that so-and-so has rather than to be satisfied with the spouse that God's given us. A sin causes us to want somebody else's job rather than to be content with the job that God's given and provided for us. So we need to confess the sin of discontentment and and turn away from that mindset. And we should know that God stands ready to forgive. He's a forgiving God. And then like Paul, we have to train ourselves to be content. Because again, Contentment must be learned. In fact, the word learned in verse 11, the word learned, it means to discover something. It means to grasp instruction and then to implement that in your life. So Paul's saying, verse 11, he's saying, I have figured it out, Lord. I have learned the secret to contentment. He's saying, I've discovered the secret. I've learned it. Furthermore, the Greek word for content or contentment in verse 11, it means to be satisfied or to have enough. It means sufficiency. So Paul's saying, I've learned how to be satisfied. He's saying, I've learned to have enough. I've learned that what I've got is sufficient. In fact, a similar word for contentment is used over in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. And that's that, that classic passage where Paul asked the Lord, Three times, 
take away his, his thorn in the flesh. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 8, 8 through 10, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, that is, his ailment. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And again, the word sufficient is related to the word contentment. For my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, God says to Paul, he says, my grace is enough for you. It's plenty, Paul. Learn to be content in my all-sufficient grace. And church, I would just say to you this morning, commit to learning the art of contentment. Become a student of being satisfied with what you've got. Learn to be content with what God has given you. You have to discipline yourself to be content. You have to study contentment. May the Lord train us all to be content, like Paul. May he teach us this secret. Here's our third secret. Contentment can be had in any circumstance. I see this in verse 12. I want you to note what Paul says here in verse 12. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned, there's the word learned again, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. In other words, Paul's saying that contentment can be had despite our circumstances. Or you could say a contentment is not contingent upon certain situations in life. Or contentment can be had regardless of whatever situation that life throws at you. You'll notice these contrasting words in verse 12. The first term is set in opposition to the second term. So the word brought low contrasts with abounding. The word plenty contrasts with hunger. The word abundance contrasts with being in need. And these contrasting terms tell us that contentment can be had in any circumstance in life. You can be content in life if things in your life are good or if things in your life are not so good. So let's walk through these contrasting phrases here. Now Paul says in verse 12, I know how to be brought low. Or I like how the King James says, I know how to be abased. To be brought low means to be humbled by poverty. Apparently, Paul was poor at one time in his life. He was probably impoverished going on all these missionary journeys. Traveling all over Asia Minor and Europe probably depleted his funds. But he says, I know how to be brought low. Next, he says in verse 12, I know how to abound. So that's the opposite, right? I how to be brought low, I also know how to abound. You could loosely translate that as, I know how to have a lot. Now, Paul was once a Pharisee. And so probably there was a point in his life when he had more than enough money. Then he says in verse 12, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and abundance. The word plenty could be translated as stuffed. It's that feeling you get on Thanksgiving, right, when you've, when you've eaten too much. Finally, he says in verse 12, I've learned the secret of facing hunger and need. So let that sink in. Apparently, the apostle Paul went hungry at times. In fact, over in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul lists some of the hardships that he went through. Things got really rough in his life. 
He says this in 1 Corinthians 4, 11 through 13. He says, to the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed, buffeted, homeless. We are reviled. We are persecuted. We are slandered. He says, we've become like the scum of the world. But in verse 12, Paul hits pretty much every circumstance in life, doesn't he? He covers all the high points in life as well as all the low points in life. And that's what life is like, isn't it? Life is like that. Life is so unpredictable. Life is full of ups and downs, highs, lows, good times, bad times, mountains, valleys, successes, hardships. Life is full of times of abundance as well as times of need. And listen to me, because life is like that, because it's so fickle and unpredictable, you have to learn to be content. Life is so unpredictable that you have to train yourself to be satisfied in whatever situation that life throws at you. And I'll say this, if you don't learn contentment in any and every circumstance, you'll, you'll blow your chance. You'll waste your life. You will squander your time on earth. So we have to learn to be content in any situation. Uh, the, the Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs, he once, once wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Has anybody heard of that book? The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. But he, he offers this classic definition in his book. He says, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, and gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. That's what Paul is saying in verse 12. He submitted his life to God's fatherly disposal in every condition, in every circumstance. So, again, you have to take a lesson from the life of the Apostle Paul in verse 12. He's a man for all seasons, all situations, all settings of life. He says in verse 12, if I have plenty, I'm not more content. He says in verse 12, and if I lack something, well, I'm not less content. Let me just read to you a few verses here about contentment. You might want to write some of these down and, and think about them more this week. Uh, Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, Paul tells Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's our fourth and final secret. Contentment only comes in Christ. I see this secret in verse 13. Please note verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Although I do still love the old King James rendering, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I think this verse, Philippians 4.13, is one of the most popular verses in, in the scriptures. 
It's right up there with, with the 23rd Psalm, uh, John 3, 16, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It's a very helpful verse, and it gives us so much encouragement. But I think the verse needs to be read in context. It has to be interpreted in light of the surrounding verses. So what's the context? What's the, uh, the, the surrounding verses about? Well, as we've seen, it's about contentment. It's about being satisfied in the Lord. So what does Paul mean? What's he mean? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, the all things there in verse 13, that refers to verses 11 and 12. That's the setting for the all things, verses 11 and 12. And Paul just told us in verses 11 and 12 that he's to be content, we're to be content, in life's mountains and valleys, the highs and lows, the ups and downs, in any circumstance of life. So I think Paul's saying this in verse 13. He's saying, no matter what, I've got the strength of Christ working in me. He's saying, no matter the situation, I've got the strength of the Lord pushing me along. No matter the season of life, I've got the strength of Christ propping me up. I think the secret of Paul's independence was his dependence on Christ. In other words, Paul's contentment, it wasn't in his circumstances, but in Christ. It wasn't in his situation, but in his Savior. I ran across this quote from, from Ligonier recently. Someone said this on verse 13 from Ligonier. Remember that all joy and contentment for your soul and all power for your life is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to get as close to Christ as you can. He goes on. If you will look to Christ, trust Christ, Live for Christ, worship Christ, adore Christ, serve Christ, follow Christ, and obey Christ, then this contentment will increase by filling and flooding your soul. This is the secret which Paul has let us know. You have all you ever need in Christ, and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So if sin is the cause of our discontentment, what's the cure? It's Christ, right? Christ is the cure for our discontentment. So we need to understand this. Only the Lord Jesus offers you the strength and the contentment that you need. Without Christ, you're like a hamster running in a hamster wheel. You're going to run around and around forever, but you'll never go anywhere, right? If you don't know Christ, you must trust him today. You must know him today. And he will give you the rest that your restless heart has been seeking after. So take Christ to be your Savior today. He is the secret of contentment. I like what David Strain says on verse 13. You've heard me quote him before. He's a, a PCA pastor at First Pres Jackson, Mississippi. But he, he says this really helpful comment on verse 13. He says, Contentment is not rooted in self, nor in stuff, nor in circumstances. The rare jewel of Christian contentment is rooted in Christ alone. He goes on. You will let yourself down. Stuff gets broken, lost, or stolen, and you'll never have enough. Circumstances change. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's a story I like about James Boyce. You've heard me quote Boyce several times in my, in my preaching. But for many years, Boyce was the pastor of 10th uh, Pres up in, in Philadelphia. 
He was a great preacher, great author. I recommend his books and his, his sermons to you. But James Boyce found out one day that he had liver cancer, and he wasn't given very long to live. In fact, if memory serves me correctly, he found out that he had the liver cancer, and he was dead, I think, in just a few short months. Actually, somewhere on YouTube, you can find an old recording of Jim Boyce telling his congregation that he had liver cancer. It's a really powerful and a, a moving message. So look it up later online. It'll, it'll, it'll make you cry. But the guy who did Boyce's funeral talked to Boyce right before he passed away. He went to speak to Boyce as he was dying, and he wanted to know if Boyce wanted anything in particular said at his funeral, any special words. And I'll never forget what Boyce said. He gave an incredible answer. He said, tell them that I died content in the will of Christ. What a remarkable answer, right? Tell them that I died content in the will of Christ. May the same thing be true of us, church. May we be content in the will of Christ. So let us look to Christ. Let us trust in Christ. Let us live for Christ. Let us obey Christ. A Christ is the secret to contentment. The rest of the world doesn't know this, but as followers of the Lord Jesus, we know that he is the secret. Well, let's pray together.